what they were saying, these were necessary for salvation. You needed Jesus plus circumcision and the keeping of the law. And Paul is saying you need Jesus and nothing more. That we stand upon the promise of God. And he will argue, and we'll see today, that that promise came 645 years before the law ever existed. Welcome to The Cleansing Word. We invite you to stay with us as Pastor John Pinnell of Calvary Chapel Lake Villa takes us through a verse-by-verse study from God's Word. Each Monday through Friday, we'll be airing messages to encourage you in your faith that you might grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I hope that you enjoy this broadcast and I'll return at the close of this teaching to give you more information about our church and how you can obtain a copy of this message. Now here's Pastor John with today's message from God's Word. In Galatians 3, we're going to look at verses 15 through 29 today, finishing out the chapter here. Not that we planned it whatsoever, but it's sandwiched in between uh, the first portion of Galatians that we looked at a couple of weeks ago up to verse 14. Uh, Kevin taught last week from Genesis chapter 22, which dealt with much of what we're looking at in this chapter and dealing with Abraham offering up his son Isaac. Now, God didn't accept the offering. He gave a lamb in its place. But Abraham was willing to offer up his son to show how much he loved God and all the things that God had done for him. It's also a a passage in scripture from Hebrews that tells us that Abraham knew that God had a problem because we can look at the story and think, what was Abraham thinking? God had promised him a son. He has a son. Now God says, prove your love to me. Offer your only son as a sacrifice. Now we know the backstory that God never accepted the sacrifice. He, he sent the ram in its place. And Abraham said of that event, Jehovah Jireh, God, my provider. So God has provided instead of my son, another sacrifice. In fact, that passage of scripture, a great portion of it, which says the Lord himself shall provide a lamb. Referring to the Lord Jesus Christ, that God provided our substitute also, not just Isaac's, but God provided ours also. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Abraham realized that God had a problem. From our perspective, Abraham had a problem because God asked him to offer up his son and to sacrifice him. Abraham went as far as to lift up the night. He had tied him to the altar and uh, the fire was there. The, The wood wasn't burning yet, but they carried the fire with them. So he was ready to do what the Lord had commanded of him. The writer of Hebrews tells us that Abraham realized that God had promised through his seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. 
So he had faith enough to say that, God, you got such a big problem because if I kill my son, you have to resurrect him because you promised. That's how strong Abraham's faith was, that in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. He knew that God had a predicament, he had a problem, and he trusted God. So often we try to work out our problems, don't we? We try to figure it out. We come to God often at the very end of the mess and say, God, can you help us? Because I took a mess and made it worse. Can you fix it for me? And so often I find that God is gracious to step in. Now, he doesn't erase everything. And quite often when people come to Christ, there is this sense of the freedom of sin, but it doesn't mean that we don't have the consequences or the responsibilities that follow in lieu of our sins. So we'll have that, but we have the freedom and the forgiveness that comes through Christ Jesus. And we try to work it out. Abraham didn't try to figure it out. He didn't try to work it out. He was just obedient to what the Lord had called him to. In our last study in in Galatians 3, there is just this portion of Scripture that backs up the portion that we're going to look at today from verses 6 through 14. And when I went through this several years ago, I did some underlining, and I did it again in my notes here. But just the idea of faith and belief in God that Paul is just driving home with the story of Abraham, beginning in verse 6. And if you had a pencil or a pen, and if you don't mind marking up your Bible, I've never had a problem with underlining in my Bible because it helps me to remember and to learn. Just this theme of belief or faith or being blessed that is repeated over and over in these portions of Scripture. Let's look at it. It says, just as Abraham, underlined believed God, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And that comes from Genesis 15, verse 6. Therefore, knowing that only those, in another place to underline, who are of faith, only those who are of faith are the sons of Abraham, the Scripture Foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, again, underlined by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. And that comes from Genesis 12, 3. So then, those, and then I underlined this, who are of faith, and then I underlined are blessed with And again, I underline believing Abraham. That's almost the whole verse 9. Those who are of faith, they are blessed with believing Abraham. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. And that comes from Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. And then verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham, and I underline that, might come upon the Gentiles, and it's so important, in Christ Jesus. Do you realize everything is pivotal upon Christ Jesus? It pivots on Jesus. It's in Christ Jesus. That we might receive, and I underline that, the promise of the Spirit through faith. It's through faith. It's through belief in what God has promised, the promise that came before, and that's really what Paul is is trying to teach. Remember, we're here in the book of Galatians where after Paul and Barnabas had left this region of churches, Judaizers came up from Jerusalem 
Jewish believers, but they also taught it was necessary to circumcise and to keep the law. So for the Gentiles who hadn't been circumcised, that was a huge step, but also the keeping of the law. What they were saying, what these were necessary for salvation, you needed Jesus plus circumcision and the keeping of the law. And Paul is saying you need Jesus and nothing more. That we stand upon the promise of God. And he will argue, and we'll see today, that that promise came 645 years before the law ever existed. Now in verse 15 of our text today, it says, Brethren, I speak in the matter of men. Though it is only a man's covenant, yet if it is confirmed, no one annuls or adds to it. And so he's dealing with this issue of a covenant now. And he's really taking it and tying it back to God and Abraham. God made Abraham a promise. Now, in the issue of man, we have wills and testimonies. And this is really dealing with that. Kuruo is the Greek word that means a legally binding contract. If you have a will and you're still living, that will is not placed into action until your death. Up to your death, you can change it, and you can drive your heirs, your children, mad if you want to. You can change the executor of the will. You can change the amount that each person gets. But once you die, you still may be driving your heirs mad after your death. The covenant, the will, goes into play. And no one can take away from it, and no one can add to it. You can't change it after the fact. If you try, you'll be in a court system, and you'll be arguing back and forth, probably causing a lot of pain in your family in the process. Once it's written, once it's ratified, once it comes into force, it stands. And even man, and that's Paul's argument here, even man can't change it. And he's referring back now to the promise that God made to Abraham. If man can make a will, a testimony, and it becomes legal and ratified, and if man doesn't alter or change it, then how much more than we look at the promise that God gave to Abraham and to us? In verse 16, it says, Now to Abraham and to his seed were the promises made. He does not say, And to seeds as of many, but as of one, to your seed, who is the Christ. I love that portion of scripture because it is teaching of Jesus Christ to Abraham and his seed. The first time we find this term seed used is in Genesis 3, 15. And there the Lord is, it's in the cursing of Satan at the fall of man. And he said, there'll be enmity between you and, And the seed of the woman, between your seed and the seed of the woman, there's going to be this fight, this struggle. And so it's first introduced to us as the seed of the woman, the seed, which we know prophetically, even pointing to Mary, the virgin birth of Jesus Christ, that there's going to be this great struggle. But then there is this promise with Abraham, in your seed, singular, and always singular, by the way, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. The word is zera in the Hebrew, and it literally refers to the idea of sowing seeds. And so you go out, back in their day, they 
would just break up as much ground as they could, and they would just widely sow the seed. And, and just the thought of whatever sticks, whatever works, they'll give fruit from. And, and the stuff that, as Jesus talked about, the sowing of the seed, the stuff that lands on the wayside soil or the thorny places or in the rocky areas, you know, they won't, they won't produce for you. But the sense of just sowing the seed, that's what the word speaks of. But allegorically, it speaks of a man's seed to make a woman pregnant. The offspring of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the seed that it's, it's repetitively used, never in plural form, but always in a singular sense, that in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Now, Paul was arguing something that was taking place in his day, but it still happens in our day today. There are many in the Jewish faith, Orthodox Jews especially, who believe that the Lord was referring to the nation of Israel. In your seed, in the nation of Israel, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Today, we look at the nation of Israel And we see that all the nations of the earth are trembling because of what's taking place in that land today. And is there going to be peace between the Palestinians and the Israelis or the Syrians or the Jordans? Many of these have said they want to see Israel pushed into the sea, into the Mediterranean Sea and annihilated. Now, Israel looks at this verse in their mind. They see the nation of Israel, Abraham's descendants. But Paul points out, it doesn't say seeds as in many, but one, your seed as in Christ. And Paul is just pointing out that all along, God had Jesus Christ in mind. God was pointing to Jesus Christ through this great promise that he gave to Abraham. And he's still pointing back to that promise. It's not the nation of Israel that's going to bring salvation to this world. It's not the United States. Some believe that at one time we were the champions of truth and justice. And, oh, that's Superman. Forgot about that. Anyways, um, that we were the champions. You know, you realize that it's not any one nation. It's only one man, and his name is Jesus Christ. In verse 17, it tells us, And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. So the law, which came 430 years later, if you read the whole story, and this verse has troubled a lot of the theologians, and it would trouble you too if you would build your own timeline, you would come up with 645 years from Abraham to the giving of the law. But we do have a time period of when Jacob went into Egypt 215 years later after the promise was given. God reconfirmed that promise to Jacob and said, go ahead, go down to Egypt. Your descendants will be 400 years there, and then I'll bring them back up again. And scripture tells us in Exodus chapter 12, verse 40, that the children of Israel who lived in Egypt was there 430 years. In fact, If you go over to Exodus 12, you don't have to do that. But if you were to go over and read around that, you will learn that the word tells us that they came out 430 years to the day. God had this timeline, and that's the reference that Paul is making to them, that 430 years later, he's referring to the 430 years 
that they were actually in bondage in Egypt. But then if we add the time of Abraham from the time of his call, when he was uh, 75 years old until Isaac was born at 100 years old, we have 25 years. From Isaac until Jacob was another 60 years. And then from Jacob until Egypt was 130 years, so 215 years, or 645 years. God made a promise, a covenant with Abraham, and said, In your seed all the nations of this earth will be blessed. And Paul is saying that 430 years later, 645 years later, the Ten Commandments, the law didn't erase that covenant. The promise still stands. And in fact, we look at that promise that covenant with the Lord, it's very unique in and of itself because there is that story there in Genesis 15 when God told Abraham to look at the stars and his descendants there. And somewhere it's in my notes, I tend to be losing my place. There I am. This backstory that the Lord said to Abraham, Look toward the heavens. Count the stars if you're able to number them. So shall your descendants be. And then that's where the word tells us, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Then God said, okay, Abraham, we're going to make a covenant, a contract together. In their day, they would take sacrificial animals. They would kill them and then split their bodies in half. And so you'd have a ram and a lamb, a goat, uh, birds, but you'd split them in half, make a path down the middle. And then the two people, the two parties that are making a covenant would then walk together down that path, confirming the covenant by blood. Abraham, he, he did everything God told him to do, and he laid out the animals as they were supposed to be laid out, but God didn't show up. It tells us in Genesis 15 that Abraham had to shoo away the vultures and the, the carnivorous birds that were trying to get down on the offering there. At some point, as Abraham was trying to keep the birds away, God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Abraham. And then the scripture tells us that a flaming torch passed through the offering. And it was God himself without Abraham. Abraham was asleep on the ground outside of that whole event that God himself Confirm the promise. That's significant in this sense, that the covenant, the promise, wasn't based upon anything that Abraham did or didn't do. Abraham couldn't annul it. He couldn't break it by not keeping it because God is the one who swore by himself. In Hebrews 6.13, it tells us, when God made a promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no one greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply you. He couldn't swear by anyone greater in Genesis twenty-two sixteen. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord. This promise, it all goes back, and it's hinged on the promise that God made to Abraham. And the law didn't supersede it in any way. It didn't annul it in any way. In verse 18, it tells us, For if the inheritance is of the law, it is no longer of promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. The inheritance is of the law. If we're going to become righteous before God, if we're going to become the children of God because we keep the Ten Commandments, then we are thus erasing the promise. But the inheritance, he's arguing, is not of the law. 
it still stands upon Christ and stands upon the promise that God gave to Abraham in your seed, in Christ Jesus, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In verse 19, it tells us, what purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through the angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for only one, but God is one. So he asks the question. He's just doing the argument for the Judaizers. Then why did the Lord give us the law? What purpose does it serve if keeping the law doesn't make us righteous before God? And Paul answers, it was added because of transgression. That as believers, so often we can get into a discipline of life thinking that we become more saved or more better. I'm going to use all bad terms here, but it doesn't work by the things that we do. When we do that, we try to add to what Christ has already done for us. In the keeping of the Ten Commandments, what was its purpose? It was added because of transgressions. It was added to help us to realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior. Today, I just want us to realize that there is nothing that we can personally do in and of ourselves to bring us into fellowship with God. There's no good work. And it's not that we're not to do good things, but those things that we do, they're not going to make us any more a believer in Jesus Christ. They're not going to make us any more saved in the sense of standing before God because it's not based on our works. Our salvation is based upon faith in Jesus Christ and the work that he did in our behalf. And in verse 17, that it was confirmed before God in Christ. It's by promise in verse 18. In verse 22, it's by faith in Christ Jesus that salvation is given to those who believe. In verse 23, it's, it's faith that has been revealed through Christ Jesus. We have been justified by faith in verse 24. And then after faith, there is no need of a tutor any longer. Verse 26, through faith in Jesus Christ, we are all sons of God. It all hinges on Jesus Christ, and the Lord has invited all of us to immerse ourselves in him. It's that sense of just as though you have never sinned. We know it's, we have sinned, but Christ has paid the price, and we are his. I pray that you know that you are his. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this study that we've been going through in the book of Galatians. And Lord, it could be as believers, we have kind of gotten into the motions of doing good things to try to shore up or better our salvation. And Lord, this is just a great reminder that it is all about you. And we strip everything away, Lord. What we need is you in our lives. And I pray that each person here knows that today. Pray that you would bless us, Lord, as we continue to go through your word. May we be strengthened. May we grow. 
And may we draw closer to you with each day the realization of our great need for you. Help us, Lord, to, to put on Christ, to put on that garment of salvation, and to rest in it. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I was just thinking of that as I was closing out. Many of you know my testimony. Years ago, I had accepted Christ as my Savior, and then there was a season in my life for a couple of years where I was wondering if I was actually saved. So there was this debate in my own mind, and God was letting me work through it. It took a couple of years to get me through it, to realize that all I ever needed was Jesus, and all I needed to do was rest in him. You know, if I look at my life and try to judge my salvation based off the things I do or don't do, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. I'm in big trouble. But if I look at my life and realize, Lord, I need you. I need you to cover my sins. And I want to put you on and let you be my covering. Then according to the word of God, we stand righteous before God. Calvary Chapel is a fellowship of believers in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Our greatest desire is to know Christ and to be conformed into His image by the power of His Holy Spirit. If you would like more information about Calvary Chapel, or if you would like a copy of today's message, please contact us at 847-265-0646. That's 847-265-0646. Thank you so much for joining us today. And may the Lord richly bless you as you worship him today.